We've been in a short series on 1 Peter, but it's been going quite slowly recently, a few verses at a time. And uh, it could be a a clerical error, uh, or it could just be God's providence. Uh, Instead of doing two verses today, we're going to do two chapters. (laughs) And the doors have been locked. Um, In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, Paul exhorts Timothy uh, to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, uh, to exhortation and to teaching. Uh, so this is our excuse for reading two chapters nearly of, of 1 Peter uh, this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which rage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honour the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, 
Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, sorry, I've done that. Likewise, husbands, live for your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts... Honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. It's the word of God.
Let's just pray. Jesus, lover of our souls, all-consuming fire is in your gaze. Jesus, we want you to know we will follow you all of our days. For no one else in history is like you, and history itself belongs to you. Alpha and Omega, you have loved us, and we will spend eternity with you. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about us, as if you should do things our way. You alone are God, and we surrender to your ways. Lord Jesus, be lifted up, subdue our hearts, and make us love you more. What does the world think of Jesus? What does the world think of Jesus when church leaders bomb abortion clinics? What does the world think of Jesus when church leaders burn copies of the Quran? What does the world think of Jesus when church leaders are convicted of child abuse? What does the world think of Jesus when church leaders commit hate crimes, fraud and adultery? What does the world think of Jesus when Christians dodge their taxes and don't fill in their census forms or refuse to recycle? What does the world think of Jesus when Christians get the sack for being lazy at work? What does the world think of Jesus when Christians neglect their children and their marriages? I still remember with horror about 25 years ago the day I discovered one of my colleagues was a Christian. Not because I couldn't believe it of him, but because I wondered if he could believe it of me. If being a Christian was made a crime in the UK, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict me? Uh, But I don't want to take you on a guilt trip. And nor does Peter. Indeed, in 3.16, another 3.16, Peter emphasises the importance of a clear conscience. It's so important that our actions come from a heart that loves God and a heart for the people he's made. If we allow a sense of guilt and a bad conscience to motivate us, we'll only do what the book of Hebrews in chapters 6 and 9 describes as dead works. Gateway Church, Wrexham, is part of the New Frontiers family of churches, and one of our distinctives, one of our big things, is grace. Uh, If you haven't read Terry Virgo's book, God's Lavish Grace, then... uh, really recommend you do. It's a fantastic book. It changed our lives. 
We proclaim that people are made right with God not by doing lots of good works, not by keeping lots of rules and regulations, but by God's grace alone. We were all once God's enemies, but he took the initiative. All we had to do was trust him. And he gave us the ability to do that. He saved us from our sin and from its consequences. He made us alive when we were dead. He fixed what we were unable to fix. Salvation is totally free, unearned and undeserved, a gift from God. And we proclaim that people stay right with God, not by doing lots of good works and not by keeping lots of rules and regulations, but by God's grace alone. God's grace is amazing. John Newton uh, described himself once as a blasphemer, a slave of slaves. And he wrote that hymn that we sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And I can't remember all the words in the right order, but you, you know it. You stand up here and do it. <laughs> God's grace is amazing. God's grace isn't fair. We don't get the eternal death and punishment that we deserve. God's grace is outrageous. We get the eternal life we don't deserve. God's grace makes us very happy. We are promised indescribable joy, full of glory, now. And then... I has not seen <laughs> and ears not heard what God has prepared. We should be the happiest people on the planet and it should show. It's not just a deep inner joy. It should bubble out of everything we are and everything we do and everything we say. So if, if it's all about grace then... Um, there are no commands, and I can do what I like. Well, yes and no, and yes and no. Thank you. Paul anticipates this question in Romans 5 and 6. He says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Or as Denzel said, rubbish. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How's that possible? Well, God's grace transforms us. It's amazing, it's outrageous, and it transforms us. In Romans 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, God's grace, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, his good and acceptable and perfect will. Augustine of Hippo, I guess. Is there any other? Is it the zoo? Augustine the Hippo? Augustine the Hippo said, Love God and do what you like. <sighs> Sounds dodgy, doesn't it? No, it's not dodgy. Grace makes us like what God likes. If you love God, if you really love God, you will like what he likes. If you love Jesus, you will do as he commands. The got to becomes get to. The have to becomes want to. Again, writing to a church leader called Titus, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. And then Paul writing to the, the church at Ephesus says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. So when Peter tells us how we should live in a hostile world, we won't balk at his commands. These aren't laws that make us right with God. These are ways in which we show that we are God's people. It's a way of expressing our devotion to Jesus and to show how much his grace has transformed us. By doing the stuff we were previously unable to do, we show that we are, as Peter says in verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And this, this is how we declare the praises of him who called us out of his darkness, out of out of his out of darkness into his wonderful light so just to be clear you haven't got to come to the prayer meeting tonight i hope you want to and you get to and what's more jesus promises to be there that'd be a shame if you missed out wouldn't it <laughs> okay, as we work back towards the passage, a little bit about the context. There's something we have to look at before we dive into 1 Peter. It's important to understand that the people Peter was writing to were in a very different situation to us. They lived nearly 2,000 years ago in a completely different part of the world, in completely different circumstances. They lived under the tyranny of the dictator Nero. We live in a democracy. 
We get to put a cross on a piece of paper. They risked being put on a cross and nailed there. They were exiles from religious persecution. And we have amazing freedom to worship God. I mean, even the police have left now. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Amy. (laughs) Many of us enjoy many benefits of being British subjects. Her Britannic Majesty. Few of them were Roman citizens even, or had any social status. Many of them were slaves. Slavery was abolished nearly 2,000 years ago for us. 2,200. You're awake. Are you awake at the back? Good, thank you. They lived in a patriarchal society. We've had the suffragettes and women have the right to be considered equal, to vote, to work, and so on. So we can't always apply the practices that Peter gives us directly to our lives because they apply in a different context. So we, what we have to do is we have to understand the principles behind what Peter is teaching and then apply those principles to our situation. However, for many people in the world, the scenarios that Peter describes are all too familiar today. Perhaps even today, probably this week, certainly this month, Christians somewhere in the world are going to die for Jesus. Some commentators think the one Peter was used by the early church as a kind of catechism for those who wanted to be baptised. It's a good thing to know what you're signing up for before you commit. In the 1970s, I remember as a kid reading about Georgi Vins, uh, a Russian Baptist pastor who spent many years in prison and was sent to Siberia. And there was a big campaign, and I remember praying... Uh, for him to be released, and he was. And I remember going to hear him sometime after... He was released in 1979. I remember going to London to hear him preach. And I don't remember even whether it was translated or whether he preached in English, but I do remember one thing. He said, when people are baptised in his church, they are asked, are you prepared even to die for Jesus? Because that, for them was a real possibility. Okay. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. The summary is, Live holy lives in a hostile world and leave God to sort things out. Live holy lives in a hostile world and leave God to sort things out. That's what Peter says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or aliens. You understand that, don't you? We think of little green men. Claire understands the concept of aliens. Um, As aliens and exiles from the 
to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. If you've been sold the lie that coming to Jesus means all your problems will instantly vanish, please let me disabuse you of that now. This is war. This is not a drill. Those alive rounds you can hear. People are going to get hurt. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be a target. Make sure you're not a casualty. Jesus said in John 15:20, "Remember, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you." Paul said in 2 Timothy 3:12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And beware the enemy within. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, Peter says. That's talking about the enemy within about being enticed into things that you should run from. That could be drink, drugs, pornography, pride, envy, bitterness, anger. You probably already know what your particular weakness is. You've got to deal with those weaknesses or they will destroy you. I'm reminded of the uh, situation in the war where uh, you'd hear stories of men in trenches who got shot at night uh, when they lit up their cigarette because then the enemy could see where they were and the sniper could pick them off. But this isn't what I signed up for. Don't worry, Peter didn't get it either once. Could you turn to Mark chapter 8, please? Mark chapter 8, and we'll start reading at verse 31. We are devoting ourselves to the public reading of Scripture today. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This isn't what I signed up for. No, we're going up to Jerusalem and we're going to sort them out. It's not what I signed up for at all. That can't happen to you, Jesus. That, that really can't happen. Don't be silly. <clears throat> but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. 
For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Actually, we know Peter got things even more wrong before he got them right. He even denied he knew Jesus three times when he thought his own neck was on the line. But Peter wants us to learn from his mistakes and not to repeat them. Now, the phrase, take up your cross, is not about some trivial inconvenience of life. Oh, we can't afford a second holiday this year. I I guess it's just a cross we have to bear. Uh, The car broke down again today. The central heating, would you believe it? That's a cross we have to bear. Well, the in-laws are visiting next week. I suppose that's a cross we have to bear. The kids have got nits at school again. If ever there was a reason to homeschool. No, sorry. Uh, The kids have got nits from school again. I suppose that's a cross we have to bear. My husband, he leaves the toilet seat up. Am I allowed to do it? Kelly's not here. I suppose that's a cross I have to bear. My wife doesn't make roast dinners like my mum. That's a cross I have to bear. Really? Jesus calls us to a life of self-denial and suffering for his sake and the gospel. Not just suffering, suffering for his sake. There's a big difference between suffering and suffering for his sake. You can be a victim. You can be a career victim. But you might not be suffering for his sake. If you haven't made up your mind, you've got to decide. Do you want the world? Or do you want Jesus? Do you want the world on its terms? Do you want Jesus on his terms? In the eyes of the world, you'll be a loser. And you will have wasted your life. Jesus says, don't waste your life. Give it up for me and for the gospel. So who are you going to listen to? Jesus says, live holy lives in a hostile world. Leave God to sort things out. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you're going to get called evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jesus was said, they said he had a demon. (laughs) Uh, They are going to call you evildoers. They are going to slander you. The enemy doesn't play fair. You will get slandered, just get over it. You will do good 
but they will call it evil. Richard Dawkins says that to teach children about God is tantamount to child abuse. And he's a very popular voice. So Peter says, keep it clean and don't let anything tarnish your record because you will be vindicated one day. Don't try and force the issue. Leave God to sort things out. You may have to wait until the day of judgment. That's the day of visitation. You may have to wait until then. But then they'll have to admit that you were right and they were wrong. And they'll give glory to God. In fact, the more good you do in the face of evil, the more God will be glorified. He can say, look, there, 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 there. They trusted me. They believed me. They gave their lives for me. And look how you treated them. And every time you will be vindicated and he will be glorified. (laughs) See good works as one in the eye for the enemy. Every good work, one in the eye for the enemy. God says, live holy lives in a hostile world. Leave me to sort things out. Okay, then Peter moves on to various applications. And this is where we have to work a little bit harder because uh, things have changed. He's going to talk about government, he's going to talk about marriage, he's going to talk about the church. So let's look at government, 2, 13 to 17. Remember he's talking about Nero and his cronies, and, and thankfully it's not such a big ask for us to be subject to Her Majesty's government, is it? pragmatically he advises his hearers to behave like model citizens actually they weren't citizens but he he says behave like model citizens and there's a pragmatism to that don't invite unnecessary suffering make sure you're doing good we want Wrexham to be a better place because we are here we want it to have a better environment better education better hospitals better government better police, better arts, better media. We want Wrexham to be better because we're here. The good that we do may silence our enemies now, but, but if not now, they will be utterly silenced on the day of judgment. Verse 16, live in freedom. Live in freedom. It says as servants, that's polite, as slaves. Live in freedom as slaves of God. Live in freedom as slaves of God. But don't use your freedom as a cover for evil. So we are to be transparently good. Uh, The church is making its accounts available. We're registered with the Charity Commission. Uh, We have a child protection policy. And all things, according to God's word, are done decently and in order. Yeah. Live in freedom as slaves of God and don't use your freedom as a cover for evil. And you have freedom to come to the prayer meeting tonight. (laughs) You really do. Verse 17, honour everyone. Don't know if that excludes anyone. Does that exclude anyone? No, honour everyone. Love your brothers and sisters in the church. And fear God. 
Okay, so we've got a nice, nice standard. We've got uh, honor everyone, love your brothers and sisters in the church, and fear God. Uh, so we now let's have a test case. Uh, where do we put Nero on that scale? Well, Peter says he's everyone. <laughs> we are to honor Nero. I, I don't know. This is difficult, this one. Honor Adolf Hitler? Well, if you were living in Germany in the 1930s, it's the sort of thing that Paul was calling them to do. Honor doesn't mean we love them or we, or we fear them. It's seeing that God has instituted certain things in society. Peter talks about every institution among men, every human institution. And, and, and we are called to, to fit in <laughs> and, and not just to be obnoxious and different just for the sake of it. Nero isn't to get less honour than anyone else, but you don't love him and you don't fear him. We're called to humility, gentleness and patience. Yet in our society, we have a vote. Um, In Germany, there were legitimate means for people to protest. Uh, we can actually engage in what is termed civil disobedience because that is considered acceptable in our society. Uh, Doing criminal damage to property is not considered acceptable. Doing violence to other people is not acceptable. So bombing abortion clinics and burning copies of the Koran then results in, I think, we have to be very, very careful. There are things that we are free to do, there are things that we're not, and we have to use a lot of wisdom. We have to honour the system. Uh, There are times when we must oppose the system, but there are legitimate ways of doing that, and there are illegitimate ways of doing that. 1 Peter 2, 18-20, the workplace. It's a bit of a jump to go from slavery to the workplace. Um, but actually our idea of slavery, uh, if we think of what we were involved in as a nation and what the USA was involved in, um, the whole of Europe really, (laughs) and the USA, um, in the last two to six hundred years, we can't defend that, but that may is not, maybe not quite the same sort of slavery that, that Paul is thinking about. Um, And we're not, we're not to defend slavery in, in any way. Um, Paul urges people to, to get their freedom if they can. And elsewhere, Paul urges masters to be um, gentle and to be understanding with their, their employees. <laughs> but I think the easiest way for us to apply this, and, and the commentators agree, uh, it's, it's a bit of a jump, but to, to think about employment. So respect those you are contracted to whether you like them or not. 
whether they're a good employer or a bad employer, respect them because you're contracted to them. Give them their due. Make sure you earn your wages, that you don't skive off and that you don't steal from your employer. <coughs> Being mindful of God doesn't mean following every whim of the union either. Um, when you do suffer, make sure it's for the right things. And that's, that's the big deal. In, in all of these things, when you suffer, make sure it's for the right thing. Are you suffering for Jesus and his gospel? Or are, are you suffering just because your nose has been put out of joint? So make sure you're not doing what everyone else does. In fact, the, it may not be the employer that you have the problem with. It may be your co-workers that you have the problem with. Uh, maybe they found a way to work the system. Uh, maybe they found a way to steal from the company. Maybe that's considered the way things are done here. But that's not for you. That's for you to stand out and be different. And that may be difficult for you. Remember the nurse who was suspended for offering to pray with a patient. I think that's a class of something, standing up for the gospel and then receiving the consequences of that, suffering for Jesus. And then think back to verse 15 and six, uh, 16 and 17. Live in freedom, serve God, and love his church. Live in freedom, serve God, love his church. If your work impacts your freedom in Christ, if your work means you can never, ever enjoy the freedoms of being a Christian, if it restricts your service of God, if it prevents you from being active in the church, if your work does that, then, then it is time to look for another job. Because God wants you to be free. He wants you to serve him. And he wants you to be able to show your love practically in the church. If your job prevents you from doing that, then it's time to look for another job. And I know that can be hard. But this is, this is a point where we have to trust God and, and look out for one another as well. And if, if, if there are people among us who find it hard to get here, then we need to look out for them as well. 2.21 to 25, Peter takes a little break from the application and goes back to, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his gospel. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness." By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Do you have the job you have because it suits your lifestyle? Or is it something that enables you to live for Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, this needs no contextualization. This is what we've all been called to. This is your calling, it's my calling, it's more than a career. It's even more than your family. Peter knew what it was like to receive a beating for Jesus firsthand. Um, this afternoon, why not read Acts chapter 3 to 5? You know, Peter and John went to pray. I did this last time, didn't I? You know that one. Um, it leads up to a point where Peter has a big confrontation with the people who crucified Jesus. He gets thrown before the Sanhedrin. Last time somebody was there, they crucified him. And it says they wanted to kill Peter too. And he walks away, but only after a beating. Peter knows what this is about. This is what we've been called to. And Paul agrees with Peter. I don't know if people always trying to drive wedges between Jesus and Paul and Peter and Paul. And, uh, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Peter, in 1 Peter 3.16, says, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Now, I was at the back and I was singing a lot of that stuff we sang earlier. We sang a lot of stuff about devotion to Jesus. And that's great. And we should. Uh, but it's quite easy to do that in here. And the challenge for us is to carry that out by God's power with the help of his spirit through those doors. And it's not going to be easy but that's what we're called to, and it gives great glory to Jesus. Mm, how to alienate half the people in the room. Um, wives. Um, we're running short of time here. <laughs> what I want to stress from this passage is what Peter's big heart is for those of you who are married to non-Christians. I can't imagine what that's like. But for some of you, that is a daily, hourly reality. It grieves you. It makes it hard for you to share the things that really thrill you with your closest friend. I don't understand it. And maybe you're here as a concession and you have to rush away afterwards. Well, Jesus knows, Jesus sees it, and Jesus wants you to have great hope. Jesus says that they can be one without you even saying anything. Jesus says that through Peter. So, make sure it's your character and the things that you do that they see most of all. We're not going to get into the talk about fashion and uh, stuff. 
but it is the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that God considers most precious. So keep at it and don't give in to fear. Be encouraged. Peter says, you've got a hope that they will be one without a word. Husbands, study your wives. And children present, not, not just in the bedroom. Study your wives. Um, and this is a, like the University of Life, is a study that is never complete because the curriculum keeps changing. You thought you understood her and now things have changed again. But study your wives. Be considerate of your wives. Understand how they tick. Make it your business to understand how your wife ticks, not the ones from Venus. Your wife. How does she tick? And be considerate of her. All right, I'm going to alienate half of you again um, because the Bible says she is the weaker vessel. Now, um, we could do a demonstration of long jumps or 100 meters or tennis or whatever, and generally we would show that physically that's certainly the case. Um, But I I would venture, with much fear and trembling, to say that there's also a spiritual and emotional side to that. That may not always be the case, because um, sometimes men need to get their act together and to be stronger emotionally and spiritually. That's no reflection on the ladies. Having alienated everyone, um, how does this work out in the church? Well, Peter sees the church in verse 8 of chapter 3 as a haven for those who take up the cross of Jesus. This is not a place where we just chill and meet our friends. This is a place where we meet to encourage one another and build one another up and minister to one another and to make suffering for Jesus tolerable and to encourage one another in that. And the church in the world, verse 9, we are to model Jesus to the world. So the way the church interacts with the world is to not repay evil for evil and not to revile against and we are called to bless Bless others, not just bless ourselves. If we just meet every Sunday to bless ourselves, we are not fulfilling Peter's command. Peter then uh, reads uh, a section from Psalm 34. We read it earlier. Whoever desires to love life and see good days to him, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. You know I'm going to say it. Tonight even, at Chester Street at 7 o'clock, his ears are open to our prayers. You've got to be there, haven't you? You just want to be there. Can you tell I ran out of time? Yeah. Oh dear.
Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good? What? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. Um, who did Peter know who was zealous for good? Jesus. Sorry, it was the Edith. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defence for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I don't know if you've ever been in the workplace and uh, eventually somebody asks you like where you were on Sunday. And you go, ha There are five things you need to know about God and the gospel. No, that isn't what Peter's thinking of. He's, he's thinking of real opportunities where people are really interested in what, why you are so different. If, if you're just ready to talk all the time, perhaps you should go away and do a little bit more stuff to model Jesus to them. And then they'll come to you and they will ask you. And when they do, make sure you're ready. Make sure that your, your heart will soar. That moment comes and they say, so, so why, why are you so happy? Wow, what a privilege. And don't be afraid of that moment. Rejoice in that moment. It's a wonderful God-given moment. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Don't get caught speeding. That's just a trivial... (sighs) Don't suffer for that. Uh, Unless, of course, you are racing to get to the prayer meeting. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Remember how you got to be right with God. Remember how much it cost. Then there's a weird bit about Noah and, and stuff, and I really uh, don't want to do that bit. Can I, can I, can I excuse that bit, Denzel? I've got a good commentary if you want to read it, but it's quite complicated, and there are about three different, three different views, and I'd rather not go there. What I did want to finish with, and this is going to be painful, is baptism, because it's in the text. Um, and uh, it's easy for us as a church, because Jesus gave us a commission. He said, All authority in, earth and on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we've been singing, haven't we, how Jesus is ruling... <laughs> Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. And Peter even finishes, doesn't he, on the note of Christ's authority. Well, as Jesus left, he gave us authority. So it's easy for Gateway Church to say, we are here to preach the gospel and to call people to repentance and to baptize them. And... uh, it's just your luck you showed up a place where it uses a lot of water, right? Uh, but that's what we do, okay? Uh, the gospel commands is to repent and be baptised. Uh, we don't see how a baby can repent, and therefore how a baby can be baptised. Baptism is a public profession of faith in Jesus. In some cultures, it is inviting trouble, <laughs> But people still will be baptised. 
because they have set apart Jesus as holy and they will leave the outcome to God. And as far as we can tell, we're right, it does involve a lot of water, which is fun. So if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, the big question for you is, are you prepared to die to yourself and follow Jesus? Will you repent and be baptised? And if you are a believer who's never confessed Jesus publicly in baptism, the big question for you is really the same. Are you prepared to die to yourself and to follow Jesus? Um, Whatever the consequences are, what matters most? Live holy lives in a hostile world. People aren't always going to understand. Leave God to sort things out. Peter also says that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Live holy lives in a hostile world and leave God to sort things out. 